Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Keeping It Center podcast. I'm your host, Jaquetta Gilbert. This is a space for women who want help keeping God at the center of their marriage, their role as a mom, and while using their gifts to make a difference in the lives of others. This is for real women with real issues serving a real God who holds us in the palm of his hand. So if you're ready to take off the facade, woman up to your imperfections, and invite our Father in every part of your beautiful mess, girlfriend, you're in the right place. Welcome to another week of the Keeping It Centered podcast. I am super excited, y'all. This time we have a wonderful, wonderful guest. She's going to tell us how to get our money right. I know it is an important topic for many of us. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce to you all none other than the Erica Young. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing great. So happy to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am very grateful that I ran across you on Instagram. I cannot even remember how I did, but I'm grateful that I did because it was really important to me to find uh, Christian people who are trying to live financially the way God wants us to. So I'm, I'm really grateful that our paths crossed. Me too. I am as well. It's always good to keep uh, a good circle of people. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So like I said, I just came across you a few months ago, actually. So I would love for you to start off telling us who you are and tell us a little bit about what you actually do. Okay. Well, I am a financial coach. And I started my coaching firm, TaylorMade Budgets, back in 2005. So I've been doing this for a while. And a lot of people like to know how I get started, like what a financial coach is and what made me, you know, decide to take this leap. Um, Honestly, I was normal like everybody else. I was told to go and go to college, get a good job, and Honestly, I really wasn't told much after that. And what I didn't realize was that college was expensive and it came for us, my husband and I both, it came with student loans and we didn't realize the predators of credit cards on campus. We both succumbed to that and we also had card debt. But the truth of the matter is that this this was normal in your 20s. This is how people think life is supposed to begin and we didn't know really what to do. No one had helped us to navigate what it would look like to get free of all of that debt or that it was even possible. And so one day we added up our debt. And at that time we had $60,000 in debt. We had a baby and felt like we needed another car. (laughs) So (laughs) we added to that debt. Um, We had another baby and felt like we needed another car. (laughs) Um, And I think this is very typical. And I think that it is actually very socially acceptable to have a car payment, have credit cards. Nobody is going to shun you or say that this is a bad thing because people just see it as a way of life. And the problem is that you have a lot of payments. And we had 
our payments equaled our mortgage, which also equaled our childcare payments. And so <laughs> it was a lot going out and it was hard to manage. And, and we really did not believe that this is what God wanted for us. We really believed very strongly that he wanted us to live a debt-free life and we had to figure a way out. And so my husband actually found Dave Ramsey on the radio. He commuted to work a decent distance. And that was how he spent his time. And he said, Erica, you need to hear this guy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> and, and so I was resistant, but he had wisdom in his words. And I said, okay, so I guess I'll, you know, get on board. My husband ended up taking the credit card away from me because I was charging small amounts that I wasn't letting him know about. Um, <laughs> I was an engineer by trade, and I would go to lunch with my coworkers, and we didn't have cash for that. That just wasn't we were strapped. I mean, honestly, paycheck to paycheck living. And so I was putting it on a credit card in order to be social. And when we had that heart to heart of here's our debt, we've got to get out of this. What can we do? I had to just face facts that I wasn't being 100% truthful. And so, you know, from that day forward, we decided to work together as a team and use Dave Ramsey's plan to get out of debt. And subsequently, five years later, we did get out of almost $100,000 in debt with that plan. And I really wanted to help other people do the same. And so that's what started the journey in 2005. And I'm still doing it and I still love it. And it's still very, very rewarding as well as I just fully believe my life calling and what God created me to do. Wow. That's wonderful. Uh, you said a lot there, and, and I want to unpack a little bit of that. <laughs> um, one thing that stood out to me is you essentially became submissive to your husband. And when he was like, all right, babe, we got, we got to cut out the extra lunches and stuff like that. And you actually was like, okay, I'm going to agree with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with you. And I yeah. really commend you for that. And it, it really sounds easy, but I know a lot of women – are in positions where they may not respond that way. <laughs> um. Right. Well, and you know what? It, it, one of the things, I, we had to find agreement, mm -hmm. right? And so one of the main things that my husband and I agreed upon early on was that we wanted to change our family tree. And we didn't know what that would look like. We didn't know in what areas of life that would show up. But we wanted to change our family tree. And so we knew both of our parents, his mom and my mother, all, both of them filed for bankruptcy. And so we knew that that's not something that we wanted. We knew we both came from single parent households. We wanted our marriage to last a lifetime. And so we had to do something different. And we knew that there were family members that um, did not go to college or finish and their job prospects or income opportunities were limited. And so we knew that we wanted to live a different type of life. And so the truth is that, one, I was submitted to God before anything. I was very committed to our ability to be able to do this thing together and to change, you know, the future for my children. And, yes, I was also submitted to my husband. And I think I, I think we tend to think of submission as, one, first of all, one-sided and also that it's only single-faceted. But I looked at all of that, and, and I think that it's important that we don't get stuck on what submission needs to look like, but that we find commonality with our spouse and say, I'm committed to this bigger picture, 
And yes, I'm going to submit to what you say. Do and what my husband did, he made it fun. I mean, the whole point is, I mean, I'm married, right? Like he's he's the one for me, and he he made it fun. He took that credit card, his included. He didn't just do this to me, mm-hmm. but he took you know these credit cards. He put them on ice. He literally froze them in a bowl of water and put them in the freezer wow. as a, a physical act of not going there. And um, that part was a team effort, and I think. You know, it's really something that I haven't forgotten because it was a physical representation of our no to that area of our life. And I think that, you know, there's a way that we can respond and there is a way that we can destroy (laughs) and there is a way that we can really uplift and encourage. And he did that in a loving way. And I submitted and responded in the way of I'm with you in this and, you know, I care about where we're trying to go. And I think that's the big picture that we have to focus on. Wow. I love the commitment and the unity that you guys have. And I think it's so important. It's so, so key to making all of this work. And like you said, we, especially as women, we can tend to look at things one-sided like, oh man, you know, he's, he's the guy and, you know, I got to listen to him. But like you said, it really was a team effort and he wasn't asking you to do something he wasn't doing himself. And so that's wonderful how you guys just came together in, in a unified uh, way and said, hey, these are our goals and this is what we got to do. This is what we're going to do to make it happen. And I love that. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what about it's the not people? easy, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's perfect in, in terms of the way God wants us to to operate for sure. Right. Right. So what do you say then to those couples who they're, they're like, all right, Erica, we want to do this thing. We want to be on one accord, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard. They, they need something extra to keep them going. You guys had that. Why, you know, you, you knew you didn't want to end Mm -hmm. up like other people. So what would your advice be to those couples that are like, okay, we want to do this, but something's, we need something to help us stay committed. What would be your advice? Yeah, it really is getting on the same page. And how that needs to happen with couples is for them to figure out their own big why and where do they have shared goals. I think sometimes we we see, you know, typically it's one spouse who says, okay, we need to get this together and you need to basically, you know, handle mm-hmm. it this way. And really it's about where are we trying to go together? So, for instance, one person in that partnership might have a career goal. Another person might have a physical fitness goal. They both might have some goals where it concerns their kids. But you've got to find out where do you agree. And that's like the big, big thing because when you can agree, that's like an anchor. You can say, you know what, I thought we agreed upon A, B, and C. Or this isn't in alignment with what I, you know, we had discussed. And, and it really, it's not about pointing fingers. It's about, we said we agreed on this, so let's go back to that centering so that we're on the same page. We tend to focus on where we, we disagree. And my husband and I have been married for 21 years, and we disagree still, even on money matters. Like, just because we, you know, have come as far as we have, it doesn't mean it's without its own challenges. But you have to learn how to nurture the big picture and get on the same page 
so that you're not allowing your differences to get in the way of you really making progress. That's important. And so sometimes we have to put ourselves aside Mm -hmm. long enough to hear what our spouse is saying and to find where we are in alignment. And both of us have to do that. And I think just getting on the same page, um, I call it, uh, in, in my book, Naked and Unashamed, 10 Money Conversations Every Couple Must Have, I call it the team couple. And, and that team couple has shared goals that they have agreed upon so that when one gets off, we can help the other one. When one is strong, the other one might be weak and we need to, you know, work together as a team to make certain that we're staying on track. And, you know, a team couple will do that for each other. Right, right. So two are definitely better than one. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so what do you say to the couples where one person seems to be like, okay, um, I know we need to get our lives together because we're not getting any younger. We need to make sure that we're prepared, not just for the future, but just the day to day. Um, But the other person is like, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of cool where I'm at spending how I want to spend. What do you say to those couples where there is not the unity (laughs) that should be there? Yeah. Right. I think we have to figure out what their motivation is, what's going to get them excited, interested and engaged. And so sometimes people are disengaged for because they think that something will be taken away from them. They're going to lose something or budgeting is a straight jacket. They have these connotations built up in their head about what the process will be like or they think it's going to be a lot of work. I mean, so you have to find out where the resistance is truly coming from. It's not okay to to just sit there and say, well, I don't you know, I'm not interested I need you to probe and say why and just be curious mm-hmm. to, to get to the real heart of the matter because in order for you to really figure out what's going on, you got to ask. The other thing I think that we have to do is to get, you know, get some freedom and permission. So I had a couple actually where there was one spouse who was disengaged and I said to her, well, I said, to the woman who wanted to make it happen and the husband was disengaged, I said to her, so ask him, can you do this essentially? Like, do you have permission with him to go on this journey of debt freedom where you're putting extra money towards the debt freedom journey? Like, is he in alignment with that? He just doesn't necessarily want to look at the numbers and technically be involved in the decision making. And so, so the whole point is that he's not in the dark. But she's saying she's leading the effort. And what typically happens when that occurs, when he says, oh, you know, yeah, I just don't feel like doing it. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, right. And so she's like, okay, I, I, we can do this. I'll put an extra $100 or $200 towards debt reduction. And when he starts to see the progress, there becomes this curiosity like, oh, oh, so you paid a credit card off last month. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So what about my credit card? Where does this, you know what I mean? Like right. he, it, it starts to get interesting. It's like, oh. And so your credit, you know, over six months, oh, your, your score improved 30 points. Oh, like, so you start to give headlines of what's going on. But I think the, the biggest thing is to figure out the language around money, asking questions, being curious, getting to the heart of the matter, because typically there's more behind disengagement than meets the eye. And it's not okay to just allow it to stay there I think the other part is just to really lovingly probe and say, how can we get to a place where we're making movement 
um, even if this isn't your favorite thing to do. So, um, and most of the time people will make some headway when they do that type of, you know, have that type of conversation. Right, right. So where do you think these myths come from then around, you know, budgeting and, you know, getting on one accord financially? Um, Where do you think those myths really come from to how difficult things can be when you want to get your money right? Yeah, so budgeting gets a bad rap because people typically, you know, it didn't work for them. And and I, I say that lightly because I think you have to work the budget. The budget isn't like doing a budget isn't going to magically have everything to work out. Mm-hmm. It's you doing the work that the budget requires. And so I think I, I shift that terminology from the budget didn't work to you've got to work the budget, which means you have to look at it. You have to do what it says. And and even prior to those things, you have to create something that's realistic. So a budget shouldn't have zero dollars in it for dining out because that's really unrealistic. For most families, they're going <laughs> to dine out at some point, even if it's a smaller amount. So put something in there, but make it reasonable so you can reach your goals. It also needs to have fun. Like, it's, it's no sense in creating a financial game plan if you're just going to sabotage it. And there was a time in my life where my hair was super important to me. I spent some time getting mm-hmm. this hair done, and it cost some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was one of those things where I would break the budget to get my hair done if it wasn't in the budget. So what are you have to think through? What are those things that you're going to break the budget to go do? You might as well put it in there and see what it feels like. So how I incorporated that, instead of going every two weeks or every four weeks even, I began to go every six weeks to go get my hair done and to make certain that I had products in between so that I can do it myself. And that honestly, at one point, that would save me like a hundred bucks. I mean, that's significant. And so when you start thinking about how much and how often things are, the budget can help you to get in alignment with your goals. Um, so you have to have something that's realistic and then get to making certain that there's some fun in there, that you aren't strapping yourself because you're in control of it, and that you're looking at it on a routine basis. Every time you get paid, you look at the budget, you pay the bills, you make sure that you're still on track. If you're not on track, look at how you need to make some adjustments. So if you overspent on dining out the first half of the month, then probably the second half of the month you might not be dining out. But you're not deprived because you already went out to eat. Right. So food is a necessity, but dining out is not. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of these things, we start to say, this is how committed I am to the process, to my husband, to God in managing my money in a way that is in alignment with where I'm trying to go. And so... I think we have to, the myths come because something broke down in that process and we toss it out and we just say it doesn't work or what have you. And we have to revisit why we're saying that and overcome the habits that have got us to a place that makes us feel bad about, you know, those techniques. And so that, in in my opinion, is where some of those myths come, specifically around budgeting, for sure. Right, right. So it sounds like, <laughs> like you're saying we do need to go ahead and be proactive 
and say, Hey, I know yes. I'm going <laughs> to, I know I want to do this. I know I want to do that and go ahead and throw it in the budget <laughs> and, and make right. it realistic. Yes. I love that you said to make it realistic because, you know, we live in a world where compares the comparison trap is so real and we see this family doing this and that family's doing that and we want to do that too and it just may not be realistic right now um but but we can't work towards it so I, I appreciate that you said to be realistic I think I think the interesting thing too about the comparison game and social media and who you hang around is that you have to be very aware of yourself. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not like I, I'm not an avid fan where I'm, I'm on it all the time. But I find myself now bracing myself just a little bit when I need to peek in on what's going on on Facebook or I'll go specifically to someone's page to see what's going on with them. I brace myself because I don't want myself included. I do not want to fall into the trap of who's doing what, why, and all of that. And so um, I think it's important to safeguard yourself against things that are going on in the world because it's going to take you away from your ultimate purpose if you don't, if you allow it to. It's very possible. It happens a lot, and we just don't pay attention to that enough. Right, right. If you're looking for more resources to help you keep God at the center of your marriage, your role as a mom, or while using your gift to help others, then sign up for the Centered Notes. This bi-weekly newsletter is a devotional designed to meet you where you are and help you be the woman God wants you to be. Sign up today at keepingitcentered.com. Now back to the show. So tell me something you wish you had known. <laughs> Um, prior to getting to this point where you are now um, financially, what's something you wish somebody had told you when you were, say, 18 years old? Oh, that's good. I think I wish that I knew I, a few things. One is that credit cards are not all they're cracked up to be. Um, they can cause you to get into trouble. And so definitely stay away from them, especially as a teenager, because you don't know what you're doing. Right, right. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. And and so a lot of teenagers do not realize that, you know, how quickly interest grows and that kind of thing. Um, but the big thing that I wish I had known, now I'm going to tell you, I don't regret my journey for anything because I really would not be here if it weren't for my journey. And I've been able to really make an impact on a lot of people's lives. And so I don't regret the journey. And I think that every God will use everything. He'll use like every moment mm-hmm. if you allow him to. I do, however, wish I had known the trap of student loans and how that affects people. And now today, my message around student loans or going to college in general first is know your child. Don't fall into parental peer pressure where you see what your friend's you know, are doing with their children, where they're going to school, or you, your kids' friends and where they're going to school, know your child. And if your child is college-bound and it makes sense and you know they can handle it, then look for opportunities, programs, and things like that in high school that can help reduce the cost of college itself. So really be very intentional. I have actually spent time with my two best friends and talk to them about where their students are in high school or were in high school. And both of them chose to do a community college 
um, not just with my counsel, but just in general, them seeking out what made sense for their child. But I highly encourage both of them to send their kids to a community college because, frankly, both of them are able to do community college for free in their first two years. And then they can transfer to a major university. And what that would mean is a significant savings in their first two years of college. And it helps them to see if this really is for them. They can get an associate's degree and then they can move on to the next level if that is what they want to and choose to do. And so you have not spent a lot of money in the foundational areas of college when you kind of are unsure of where this student is going to go. Um, and then the other part of this is be very intentional about school choice, um, you know, in-state versus out-of-state and being clear about what it's going to look like to go to a different type of school. And that was one of the biggest things for me about changing my family tree is that my kids, if, if that were their choice to go to college and it was a good fit, that we would not strap them with a bunch of student loan debt. And so my daughter is now in college. Um, this semester, she actually got a bit of a refund from her scholarships and in college. And, you know, she we actually have funds to send her. We sent her this past year to France on a study abroad trip because we did not have to pay for her to actually go to college for her first two years of school. And so it, it it's interesting what you what opens up when you don't allow the school choice to be the factor because she was, you know, really wanting to go to a private school in New York that would have cost twice the amount. And that was not the type of money that we had for her. And so um, she saw that and, you know, we allowed her to see that. We did not forbid her to from applying, but um she she saw that there was going to be a gap and that would require her to have some student loans and she chose differently. And so I think school choice, being very clear on what your children are um, capable of at that particular age, the very tender age, and making certain that you use wisdom in that area is huge because a lot of people, I mean, between my husband and I, we had almost like forty five dollars or $50,000 in student loans between us. Um, but now that's easy for one student to come out of school with that kind of debt. Um, and I even see people with $100,000 themselves in student loan debt. And it it's crippling. Um, and a lot of people lose hope on being able to get free when they have that type of debt lingering over their head. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I know all too well. <laughs> yeah, um. I mean, it's real. It's very common, unfortunately. But that's that's what's going on right now. Right. Especially, um, you know, my, my day job is I'm a, I'm a counselor, I'm a school counselor. And, um, you know, my undergrad was in secondary education. So, you know, the only way to really make more in education is to get your master's and to move up. And then at that time, I didn't really, all I knew was I could make more so I could help my family more, but I didn't really see the payoff annual, the annual payoff amount. And you know, it really, right. <laughs> it really wasn't that much more at the time. Um, yeah. the, the, the good thing about it, though, is that because of the area that I taught in, it's very difficult to get a job in that. I, I taught French and it's very difficult to find a uh, position. And so my master's is my saving grace <laughs> so that I can actually have a yeah. job still in education. However, 
that yeah. debt, man, it um it hurts my feelings every month. <laughs> <laughs> every <Yes>. month <laughs> yes absolutely yeah it's it's not fun having to make those payments every month for a long time that's that's for sure no ma'am it's not <laughs> so like you um and I think it's also because I am a school counselor it like you I'm I'm more of the the mind frame that if you don't have enough scholarships to go ahead out of the gate and go to a four-year college. Like if they're not paying you to come to them, I would go the community yeah. college route too, because, you know, I know there's some kids, yeah. you know, if they get like the high enough academic scholarships, you know, they're able to go for free, you know, those four years or whatever, but not right. everybody is privileged enough to be like that. So, sure. um, yeah. you know, for sure, you're all doing the basic foundational courses anyway those first two years so you you know if if you can earn a scholarship that takes care of those first two years at a community college then go for it <laughs> you know right um, yeah, so yeah absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely but like you I think uh at least when I was younger it was just the whole conversation of mom and dad saying hey you need to go to college get a good job and you're good it, right. it wasn't like yeah. a you know community colleges at that time was like, you know, oh, you just couldn't get into school, like real school. Um, yeah, but times yeah. have changed and things are so much different. And you've got so many, especially like people going into nursing. If you want to be a nurse, I would highly suggest going to a community college first because there's so many yeah. that have great, great programs for you to start out in at a reduced cost. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I think a lot of people need to explore their options and sit with that for a minute. I, you know, and I'm super open about this with my clients too. When, when students want to take a year off, I encourage it because that there's some growth and learning and maturity that can happen during that year off. Um, when students are, you know, working, I think that's so valuable um, because they learn how to juggle many things and to manage money on their own. And I, I just think that it, it really there's so many different ways to help our kids launch off into the world. And I think we do need to hear them and pay attention to what they're telling us. Um, and then we also need to help them explore, you know, alternative routes to getting the job done in terms of finding something so that they can, you know, live on their own and take care of themselves. And, I, and it's, it usually is the parents who are, pushing children to do things that they may not be ready for. And that, and that's why I call it parental peer pressure because parents look at somebody else and say, you know, I want this for my kid when the kid may not right. want it for themselves or be up for the task. And, and we have to really be aware of that. Mm-hmm. I want to jump back to something you said earlier. You were talking about exploring college options with your daughter and you said you didn't forbid her to apply out of state, but you were actually open with her about the cost, the realities of what that price yeah. tag meant. And I think that in yeah. and of itself is amazing because, you know, kids just don't know. All they know is, you know, this is yeah. a, a school <laughs> that I, I would want to go to, but they don't know all the ins and outs and, and what that price tag really means. So, you know, I think if more kids right. had parents that would do that, I think that would be a total yeah. game changer. <laughs> well, here's here's the interesting thing, and I think it's important that we talk about what that progression looks like. I, I teach parents to talk to their kids early, 
so that they're not caught off guard. So don't wait until senior year to say, we don't have any money for you. You can't apply to this college. That's not right. fair because mm-hmm. that's not their fault, right? Mm-hmm. So um, start talking to them for certain in their junior year and say, this is how much money we have or do not have. Um, and we allowed our daughter to spend two weeks in New York at that particular school doing a summer program um, as a gateway, honestly, to seeing if she could get some type of a scholarship. I mean, we allowed that to occur and made certain that she got there and allowed her to fly in that way. She loved it. And that was a risk we took because we said, you know, what if she really wants to go? And we <laughs> sent her there for two weeks and we're fueling this fire. But the truth is that I never want to hold my kid back. I just, I just want her to be mindful and wise about the decisions that she makes. And it was a great experience. And she did end up getting a scholarship. But what's interesting is when you fill out the FAFSA, the financial aid, federal application for financial student aid, um, you can pick certain schools that you want this to go to so they can come back and show you, you know, what they're willing to give you and that kind of thing. And so um, this particular school was twice the cost of what her in-state counterpart, where she ends up now, is. And, you know, when she saw that, she was like, wow. And she did get a scholarship. It did help that she did put that summer program and that she was a great student, but she was still going to be coming out a significant amount of money um, because it was private and it was in New York. And mm-hmm. so all of it was so much more costly. And it just because it's on there, I mean, if you have four or five schools on that FAFSA, I mean, clearly three of them, you're not going to. <laughs> so, so you know you're going to have to make some type of choice. So there's no harm in that. Um, and I think these are big young adult decisions, mm-hmm. and we can't take that all on ourselves. And I think this is part of helping our kids to make sound decisions and practice doing so when they're under our roof and they have our guidance. I think it's so important to allow these lessons versus being a dictatorship. That's not fair. Um, so, you know, when she saw it, like her eyeballs just bugged out of her head and she was just <laughs> like, oh, I get it now. Like mm-hmm. we have been saying it for a year. It's expensive. And, but she, she understood in that moment. And, um, I'm glad because if we had told her, no, you're forbidden, you can't do it. Um, that could have been, you know, destroying, mm-hmm. you know, parts of our relationship and her trust in us. And so, um, it, it needed to be her moment to see it. And, and that's my hope for each parent is that, you know, they are able to see what's going to work for their household and be open and upfront early on. Like we won't be able to contribute and that's an okay conversation to have. At least the child knows, um, or we can help you up to this amount. And that's, that was what our conversation was with our daughter. And then, you know, here's what it's going to look like. And this is, this is my recommendation. And we also let other adults speak into her life. Um, You know, we had counselors at the different universities to talk to her and just so that it wasn't just us saying, here's what we think, you know, let's let some professors and mentors, other people do some of that talking too. Right. I think that is very important too, because, you know, as, I remember being a teen, you know, and hear mom and dad say this. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just mom and dad. But, you know, (laughs) like you said, having that backup from other trusted people who didn't know y'all, that that was a really smart move. (laughs) Right. And we didn't know. I mean, honestly, I talked to other parents who had college students to get that information. 
And I think it's really important to create your own support system where you can talk to people and feel good about the directions that you're going in and, and be vulnerable in what you don't know um, because people can help you out if you allow them to do that. Right, right. Something else I love about all of this is it sounds like you guys adjusted your parenting style to fit for this particular child's needs. And yeah. I can't yeah. say that at least growing up, I remember <laughs> I can only speak to my experiences and I just grew up thinking parenting was a certain way and that I needed to do yeah. the same when I became a parent. But now I've learned that, you know, like you said, you've got to adjust your parenting style. It doesn't mean you're lowering your expectations or anything. It doesn't mean that you're not, you know, having your kid do things aligned with God's word, but just the way you parent your kid is so important. Um, and, and, and it needs yeah. to be tailor-made as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting? So I have a sophomore in high school now. And the interesting thing with that one is that I'm actually encouraging her to look at a university that's out of state for different reasons, because she is a different child. Mm -hmm. And so we have to really look at how God created our kids, where their bend or their gift is. One thing I knew about my oldest is that she was going to want to be overseas. And so she is at a university that encourages study abroad programs. She's looking for another one right now. And, you know, I wonder how much more expensive things would have been if she was trying to do that and live in New York or, you know, would she have felt trapped, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I I think about what it is for her. My youngest, I'm not so sure, not so sure that it's going to be important for her to do any type of study abroad in college. But what I do know is what is important to her and that that might not be in Indiana where we live. Mm -hmm. And so I'm opening myself up with that child to help see how she can get scholarships if out-of-state makes sense. And that's a different process than what I was thinking of with my oldest. And so I think that, you know, knowing, knowing your child, and allowing God to teach you how he made them mm-hmm. and really seeing what their lean or their bend or their gifting is so that you can help them make good decisions. That's a part of the process too. Right. It, it really is. So, um, and it changes with the child. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh. So let us know. We've, we've talked about a whole lot of great stuff today, and I really enjoyed it. Um, let us yeah, know, what are some resources that have been helpful to you and your husband on this financial journey, not just with yourselves, but with helping others as well? Yeah, so there's a lot of podcasts that I enjoy. Obviously, I'm going to say Dave Ramsey because he's I consider him to be like a mentor, just Mm -hmm. even um, being in connection with them as one of the coaches that they have. But also just to look at podcasts, read books, make certain that, you know, you're educating yourself and you're staying engaged. Um, 
some of the resources that I have, I mentioned my book, Naked and Unashamed, 10 Money Conversations Every Couple Must Have. You can find that on Amazon. And the whole goal behind that book is, you know, to expose ourselves, you know, in Genesis where Adam and Eve, you know, were naked and were ashamed when they were hiding from God because of their sin. Typically, you know, people are much quicker to jump in the bedroom than they are to jump and have the conversation about money. And so I want people to just kind of unravel and uncover some of the, the things that we've gotten ashamed of in our finances so that we can seriously get free um, through that conversation. I also have a resource. It's the seven-day money challenge. So you can find that on sevendaymoneychallenge.com. And that is just a seven days of videos with small tips on your finances, and it's free. And it gives you access to my newsletter that I send out monthly. Um, And if people want to have a 30-minute conversation with me free of charge to understand what their best next steps ought to be um, and how to get unstuck where they are, I do those. And you can find that on tailormadebudgets.com. Awesome. So is there any way we can connect with you on social as well? Do you have a preference there? Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Taylor Mate Budgets, on Instagram, Taylor Mate Budgets, and LinkedIn, Erica Young. Okay, awesome. So I will, you know, anybody that's driving or whatever, I will have all of these in the show notes on our website um, at keepingitcenter.com. So don't feel like you got to, you know stop or anything. <laughs> um, but there, <laughs> there is one last question that I ask all of my guests. And I'm just curious, you know, your amazing journey you've had and all the things that you do. You've got a kid in college, one that's, you know, still in high school, you're married, you got this business going. How in the world are you able to keep God at the center of your life with everything you've got going on? Wow. Um, You know, I honestly can't do anything without God. (laughs) And I think if we're all truthful, we can't. We just can't do it all by ourselves. And when we do, we start messing up. And so I'm not perfect. I don't pray for hours on end, but I do. The very first thing that I do every morning is open up my Bible app and look at my verse of the day and ponder what it is that God is trying to tell me. Um, I do spend time in prayer. I have, you know, a journal where I write down all of the people or things that I'm praying over, um, what I'm grateful for, what I'm looking forward to, things like that. Um, You know, I stay connected through my church attendance. Like, it's really important to me that I get fed. Um, I, I have led some small groups at our church, but right now I'm just getting fed. I'm sitting in under somebody and, and, you know, being a participant versus giving. And I think it's some of that is a give and take. And then also just surrounding yourself with people, godly people, that that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, in my work, because I know that, you know, Dave Ramsey is a faith-based organization, um, keeping that as a part of how I do business is important to me. Um, surrounding myself with other business owners who are faith-based, I think you have to really be choosy about your circle. You have to be choosy about your time and you have to be choosy about what it is you decide to engage in. And so it's, it's a daily thing. And I think for me, the biggest thing has been not to segment God to only five minutes in the morning, 
to talk about him and how he operates and what he needs and wants from me and what I need and want from him throughout my day in my work, uh, in my family, um, in my quiet time. Like, it's, he's not just compartmentalized to Sunday morning and five minutes in the morning. It's just, how do I, God, what do you want me to do here? How do I handle this conversation? What do my clients need in this moment? That's that's the part that's important to me. What does my husband need right now? How can I be more supportive? What does my daughter need? You know what I mean? These are the things so that he is not just regulated to one segment of your life that is all of life. And that's that's what keeps me grounded. Like I said, I'm not perfect. I don't pray five hours a day. <laughs> but he is invited in and welcomed in throughout my day. And that is what helped me. Awesome. 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 I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So again, I thank you so, so much, Erica, for taking this time with us to share with us this week. And I just pray God continues to grow your business and to um, just have his way in your life and to continue to help you to reach those people he needs um, to have their needs met as well. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I had an amazing time talking with Erica today. And I really, really pray that it blesses you, that it meets you where you are, um, and that it gives you hope, that it encourages you. And I pray that you know you're not alone. If you are struggling financially, you're not alone. Um, Many of us are um, still pursuing this journey of uh, becoming debt-free. So I pray you hang in there. Um, And if you do need more resources, again, check the show notes that we have on the site at www.keepingitcenter.com forward slash podcasts. Um, you'll be able to access all of the podcasts that we have done up to date and you'll be able to look at those show notes and see the links that we've mentioned um, as well as the contact information for Erica. Um, She'd be a great resource for you to reach out to if you're needing help with your financial goals. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer. God, I thank you for the information Erica shared with us today and I pray it blesses every listener, God, and their entire household. Thank you for reminding us that unity is definitely key when we're trying to meet those financial goals in our marriage. And thank you for reminding us women, especially Lord God, to align our definition of submission with your biblical view. God, I thank you, Lord, because I know that you are a provider. And I know many of us are wondering how we're going to pay for college for ourselves, for our kids. And I pray, Lord, that you will just give us that wisdom that we need in choosing the best option for our situation and help us to make decisions based on your truth and not our emotions and not based on what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been driving along, you can find today's show notes over at www.keepingitcentered.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for The Centered Notes, our bi-weekly devotional newsletter. And follow us over at Instagram at Keeping It Centered.